0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So Malachi chapter 3 and we're going to pick it up at verse 13. It says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What prophet is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do, wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God to go free. So the Lord here, his, his last things that he wants to say to the, to the children of Israel through the prophet Malachi, he, he says, man, you guys have been harsh. Your words have been harsh. Against me, that word "harsh" means uh, to be strong, uh, to be to be courageous. It means to be overpowering, and and really, what it means, what what it boils down to, we could say, is they had the audacity to complain against God. The audacity to complain against God. You know, um, one thing that I've learned. Uh, in ministry, and I learned it kind of rather early on, is that to be in ministry, you really have to have thick skin um, because if you don't, uh, you won't make it. Um, but you know, sometimes people, and they're not meaning to say things, but sometimes people say things that just, it just, it's really harsh what they say. And that, of course, it's not their intent, but it's just the way they say, it, like, whoa. And uh, you know, so. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that they had the audacity to say something against me, but, but really, you know, thick skin is something that you really need. So if you're ever thinking about ministry, that's one of the things you want to do is toughen up your skin. Um, but so these, these, these Israelis, these Jewish people, they were speaking harsh. They had the audacity to complain against God. And in verse 14, what do they say? They said, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So what they're basically saying is, hey, there's no benefit to serving God. I mean, I've been doing this for years and it's like, what's the use? It doesn't, I don't see any difference. It doesn't seem to make a difference. Um, You know, as a result of feeling useless, they basically say in verse 15, so now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. So these, these people, they're looking around them and they're going, you know, I've been serving the Lord and it's just, it hasn't changed my life at all. And so it's like, what's the use? And uh, they get to the point where they become so emboldened to complain harshly against God, they say it's useless to serve him. And they get to the point now where they're like celebrating rebelliousness. So now we call the proud blessed. You know, um, notice that these verses, all three of these verses contain the word we and not I. So not I, think it's useless, but it's we. So what does that mean? That means that there's not one person, but there's many of them and they're talking to one another. They're complaining amongst one another. And uh, so, but there was also another group of people that Malachi describes. And in every generation, there's this one group of people and the Bible refers to them as the remnant the remnant. And uh, in every generation, God has reserved apart for him a group of people known as the remnant who are truly in love with Jesus. Um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talks about the last days. And one of the things he says, he says, in the end times, there's going to be a great falling away. We call it the great apostasy. It's people who once served the Lord and lived for them. They feel like these people in in, uh, Malachi, they feel like it's useless to serve the Lord. There's no benefit. Paul says in those days, there are going to be people that are having itching ears. They no longer want to hear the truth of God's word. They want people to tell them what they want to hear, basically. They want to hear the fluff. They want to hear all about God's love and how you know, God can bless your life, but they don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about living a holy life. None of that. They just want the good stuff. And so in those days, the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. Now, listen to this. You can't fall away from some place that you're not at. So what this falling away is really implying is that these are either they're believers or at the very least they're churchgoers. And they they are falling away from the faith. Paul talks about the fact that in First 1 Timothy 1.18, he refers to people like them. He says concerning their faith they have shepherd, suffered. Excuse me, shepherd shipwreck. They've sh- suffered. <laughs> how many? I won't go into that. They have suffered shipwreck. Their faith has suffered shipwreck. So in every generation there's a remnant. And so you might be thinking here, and I was thinking I was reading about how do we know. If we're part of that remnant, how do you know if you're part of that remnant? Well, verse 16 will give us a clue. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. How many of you guys went to college? Okay, there's quite a few. How many of you went to high school? Okay, so more than went to high school and college, obviously. Did you, did you remember? Did you ever hate it when you were in class? And maybe you're kind of like daydreaming and your teacher's walk, you know, just going on and on. And at the very end, they go, uh, there'll be a quiz on that. <laughs> it's like, oh, what did they just say? You know, that, that was the way I went through high school and stuff. But um, for you guys, remember I mentioned to the kids about this book? There's, they're going to quiz you on this, so you want to pay attention. So... The remnant in Malachi's day, they feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. What exactly is the fear of the Lord? You know, um, in my generation, I have a, a fairly good understanding of what fearing the Lord is because I feared my father, and, and really what it, what it, my earthly father, and what it really refers to is reverence. Reverence towards him. But even that is kind of hard to describe. But do you know there is so much scripture? I started doing a little bit of Bible study on what is the fear of the Lord, and it amazed me. I'm like, you know what? I could spend the rest of the hour just teaching on the fear of the Lord. There's so much scriptures that deal with the fear of the Lord. This is a major, major concept in scriptures. But what exactly is the fear of the Lord? Well, you know, for you and I, if you had an earthly father, um, and, you know, they were an example of what the fear of the Lord is. Now, I apologize because I know that there's people in this room and probably people listening who either didn't have a father figure in their lives or the father figure that they had wasn't a very good father. And they had a poor example. And so it's hard for people like that to go, man, I, I, I can't envision what a, what, a, what a loving, good father is, someone that I respect. I can't respect my earthly father because of whatever they did. And so I know that there's people that deal with that. But for those of you who did have a godly father, and praise God, I had a godly father. Um, I respected them. And you know what? It was a motivation for my obedience. It motivated me to, because not that I was afraid that he was going to like squash me like a bug or, you know, he's just going to hit me for no reason. No, I respected him because I knew that he meant business and and he was a very um, honorable father. But for those who didn't, uh, well, let me go back to this here. Hebrews 12.9, Paul says this, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews, Paul um, says, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? So if you think about your relationship to your dad... That's kind of what the reverence or the fear of the Lord, it's an example of that. Now, whether or not you had a good example of a father, and I know that there's people, there's bound to be people in a room this size that have not had a good father figure, or maybe no father figure. Their father took off, you know, when they were young or whatever. Um, God, whether or not you've had that example, God has provided a way for you to understand what the fear of the Lord is. So basically, none of us are with, with an, we, we don't have an excuse understand what the fear of the Lord is. You can't say, well, my dad was a terrible dad. I I don't understand that fear of the Lord. The Bible will actually teach you. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1. It says, my son, if you receive my words... And treasure my commands within you so that you incline incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what is the writer here saying? What is Solomon saying? If you receive the scriptures, what does it mean to receive the scriptures? It means to accept it, to understand, hey, this scripture is, re- is written for me. It, it applies to me. It's God speaking to me to receive it. Not only that, but to treasure scripture. How do you treasure scripture? Well, the Bible says to hide it in our hearts. How do you do that? Well, you hide, you memorize the scripture, you meditate on scripture, you read it, you study it, you let it become a part of your life, you let it come into your heart. And then he says, if you incline your ear to wisdom, and and all I can think of is inclining your ear to wisdom is basically um, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the word of God allowing him, you know, there are times when it's interesting, you you start reading scripture and all of a sudden the Lord will reveal to you through the Holy Spirit, man, it's either like, man, I sure don't live up to that or there'll be an encouragement in it or there'll be a a new understanding or whatever. That's listening to the Holy Spirit. And so incline your ear to wisdom, wisdom, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through scripture and then apply. He says, apply your heart to understanding. In other words, apply scripture. We're told to be doers of the word and not listeners only. Because listeners, they can deceive themselves. You know, it's it's funny. Sometimes you you read scripture and you go, man, I wish so-and-so read this because it really applies to them. Well, no, it actually applies to all of us, ourselves. So to apply the scripture and then cry out for discernment, lift up your voice. In other words, pray for understanding. If you ask for wisdom, the Bible says God will give it to you. If you want to understand scripture, pray your way through scripture. If you don't understand something saying, Lord, please reveal this to me, or show you, show me how it applies in my life, and I guarantee the Lord will do that over the over the period of time, whatever it is. So pray for understanding of Scripture, for revelation, and then finally search Scripture for wisdom. It's like searching for a hidden treasure. In other words, value God's word. If you do these things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. So in other words, The more you dig into God's word, the more you're going to understand what the fear of the Lord is. And not only are you going to understand the fear of the Lord, but you're also going to gain a knowledge of him. Because you see, the two are inseparable. The two are inseparable. To know God, I mean not just to know about him, but to know him is to reverence him. It really is, because the more you understand who he is, the more you understand who he is in relation to who you are, the more you're going to fear him. The more you're going to respect him, the more you're going to reverence him. You will hate evil because you'll learn that God hates evil, that God is holy. And so you'll hate evil because God hates evil. You'll put all your trust in him because you'll learn that God is mighty. You know, when you're, when you're a kid, your dad could do anything, right? I mean, he was like the strongest person in the world. My dad can fix anything and do anything. And then you become teenagers and you go, well, I can fix everything and do everything. My dad, pff, you know. Then you get to about your mid-20s and all of a sudden your dad gets smart again. It's, it's amazing. Um, but you'll put all your trust in him because you'll learn that God is mighty, You'll no longer fear man who can destroy only body, only the body, but you're going to fear God who can destroy both the body and, and the soul in hell. You'll no longer fear man because my, my God's bigger. You'll avoid sin and use your time on earth wisely. Why? Because you're going to learn that God's going to judge the living and the dead. There's going to be a time coming where we're going to have to give an account for how we lived our lives. You'll want to live your life for God because although you were a sinner, God loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you on a cross for your sin. You're going to learn these things and it's going to develop the understanding of the fear of the Lord in your lives if you do these things. So those who feared the Lord, it says, back in Malachi chapter three, those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another. What did they speak to about? It doesn't really say, does it? But you know what? You naturally talk about what you love and what you treasure the most. It's just a, It's just a fact. Whatever you treasure the most, you'll talk about. If sports is the only thing, if that's the, the main thing in your life, man, that's all you're going to talk about. If politics is the main thing in your life, that's what you'll talk about. If money, I mean it, it basically, you know, if you stand or if you talk to a person long enough, you can kind of start to understand where they're at, where they're coming from. You know you can understand what their what their focus is. Now it doesn't mean that that's the only thing you talk about, you know. Hey, I only talk about the Lord, you know, and so everything is, you know, you got to mention Jesus in every sent No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Because, you know, I talk politics. I don't talk a whole lot of sports, but I do talk politics. I talk about different things. Uh, but that doesn't mean that my heart is just, you know, poured into that. But there are people... And it's funny, I used to work with these guys, and uh, I could tell where their hearts were because at a certain time they go, "Well, it's beer thirty, it's Miller time, and you know every conversation was talking about beer and alcohol, and you know where their hearts were drinking man that that they just lived for partying on the weekends that was their that you could tell they didn't have to say, well I, you know I really like alcohol and'm I just like to get drunk and so, "No, you could tell because that's what they talked about that's all that they focused on, and so what did these people talk about? I guarantee they talked about the Lord. They talked about the fear of the Lord. Now, there's another thing that's no, that I think jumps out of this verse. Notice that they talked to one another. You know what that assumes? That assumes that they were in fellowship with one another. That they were, they were coming together, gathering in maybe smaller groups, maybe two, maybe three, maybe a larger group like what we have this morning. They were in fellowship with one another. Psalm 119.63 says, I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. You know, who you hang out with? From a day to day basis, who you spend the most of your time with, it not only says a lot about where your heart is, but it will also influence the direction that your life is going to go. The Bible says, Bad company corrupts good morals. I remember my mom used to say that to me. She didn't like some of my friends. And that verse was quoted over and over and over again to me Bad company encourages good morals. Um, but it's true, it's a truth, true thing. But you know what? Good company encourages and edifies. Now I know two people and I'm not going to name them by name that we're going to we're going to keep it really but I know two people that just bought brand new instruments and they're going to learn how to play instruments. And one thing I said to them I said, "You know what you guys need to do? You need to hang out with other people that can play that are better than you and just start hanging out and just start playing with them and practicing with them." Why? Because as you hang out with them it's going to it's going to your skill. It really will. I uh, bought a mandolin one year uh, in the summertime and, and my son, you know, Luke's a musician, my other son's a musician, and we would go to these friends in Hastings and they love bluegrass music. And we would go, I think it was for a while there, we were going like every Friday night to their house. We were just hanging out. And those guys, they didn't wait for you to play. they They just started playing and you just joined in if you could. But you know what? By the end of that summer, I'm not good, but I I got to the point where man, I can actually I can actually kind of play with them. I didn't quite get the kerchunk down. There's some some mandolin stuff that but you know, you, you, it picks you up. And so, those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another. They they hung out. I so encourage you to be in fellowship. Not only here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but even during the week, get together with brothers and sisters because you'll edify, you'll encourage one another proverbs twenty seven seventeen says as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. so those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, it says, and the Lord listened and heard them. That word listened it means literally to prick up the ears now uh, every once in a while we don 't have we used to have these two Labrador retrievers, um, but we don 't we haven 't had them for many years, but our son has this uh, boxer. And the boxer's name is Eva, and every once in a while he'll call us and say, "Hey, can you watch my dog? I got to go do this." And we're like, "Yeah, okay." Well, it's a really a skittish dog, and it cracks me up because when it's in our house, it sits there, and all of a sudden it's like. And I'm like, what is he hearing? I mean, I don't hear anything. And he's like, you know, I'm like, wow, that dog's possessed or something. It's just weird, you know. It's like, is there somebody standing next to me or something? The dog, he just pricks up his ears at the slightest thing. Have you ever been in a crowd of people and you're within earshot, and you kind of hear a muffled conversation and all of a sudden you hear your name All of a sudden you realize, they're talking about me, right? It's like you go like, you know, he's like, I wonder what they're saying. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. Um, well, that's what this word refers to. It's like these people are talking about the Lord, and the Lord's like, and he's like paying attention because that word heard means, it says the Lord listened and he heard them. The word heard means to listen attentively. So in other words, the Lord pays careful attention when his people speak to one another about him. When you're in a Bible study fellowship or you're encouraging another brother or sister and you're, you're talking about the Lord, man, the Lord's listening. He's like, hey, they're talking about me again. And not only that, it says, so a book of remembrance, quiz time, remember that word. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. Now it's interesting, there are a few different times when books are mentioned in scriptures regarding your and my life. The first time that I've come across that it's mentioned is in Daniel chapter 7 verse 10, Daniel 7 verse 10. Daniel, he's speaking about, he has this vision, and he says a fiery stream issued and came forth before him, from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. He's talking about God in heaven. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Books, plural. Revelation 20, verse 12. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. I don't know if you caught that, but I asked asked the kids up here if they knew about that book and someone mentioned the book of life, because that's the book we always heard about, right? We always know about. Well, there's these other books, evidently, plural. You know, there's another mention of a book in the Bible. In Psalms 139, 16, It says your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Can you, just think about that. There's a book written that has every one of your days listed in there. That that, that just blows my mind. Wouldn't you like to see that book? I I, I thought about that. Would I I really like to see that book? You know, I probably wouldn't. Because if I saw that, hey, I've got, you know, 5,000 more days to live, you know what, I, you know what my nature would be? <laughs> I guess I'll take it easy, and on 4,999th day, that's when I'm going to get serious, you know, and I'll start, you know. No, we never, none of us know what the, how many days we have, but the Bible says they're all recorded. Each one of our days are numbered. In fact, I think it was David that said, "Teach me to number my days, so that, you know, give me a heart of wisdom to live my life as you intend it." I'm paraphrasing very heavily, but that's basically what David was saying. So this book of remembrance was written before the Lord for those who fear him and those who meditate on his name, verse 17. "They shall be mine," says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own, son, as his own son who serves him. That word jewels is the word, it can either mean peculiar or special treasure, and it's used only a handful of times in Scripture. The very first time it's used is in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. The Lord God is speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. And he says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord God's telling the children of Israel, man, if you listen to my voice, if you follow, if you obey my commands, if you, if you keep my covenant, man, you're going to be my special people above all the other nations of the earth. Peter quotes Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, and it, he applies it to you and I as believers. He says this in, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10 But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that's the word there, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You are one of those special people to the Lord God this morning. Notice he says, on the day that I make them my jewels, you ever heard that term, a diamond in the rough? Man, I'm just a diamond in the rough. You know, there's this, there's this diamond. It's a gem. It's a beautiful gem, and, it, but, and it, it has to be mined out of the ground. And you know what? We got these beautiful diamonds on our rings and, and jewelry and stuff, and they, they, these, they look gorgeous. But when they're pulled out of the ground, you really have to know what you're looking for. And you have to go, wow, I think that's a diamond or whatever, you know? Because why? Because it doesn't quite look like the diamonds that we wear, the, the fine jewelry that we're familiar with. It's a special gem, but what? It needs to be cleaned. And you see, God says, You're my gem, and I'm going to make you my jewel. I'm going to make you my jewel. So what do, they, what do we do to jewels? Well, first of all, they need to be cleaned. They need to get all that dry dirt and junk off. Well, what What spiritual thing is that? That's sanctification. You know, you don't have to clean up your life to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, have a relationship with him. He meets you right where you are, and he takes your life, he forgives you of your sin, and then he starts that process known as sanctification, just cleansing you, just cleaning off all the gunk In your lives, that's the first thing that has to happen. The gem's got to be clean. Then it has to be cut, and nobody likes to be cut. But it needs to get shaped into a way that's going to reveal all these beautiful facets of the gem. And the Lord God, He cuts you and I. He prunes us. He, he, you know, these things that we go in, in that happen in our lives, man. Sometimes they're painful things. Sometimes we don't like them. But you know what? God is taking each one of us, and He's making us unique. Yeah, you have these unique experiences that only you have, and they might be painful, but you know what the Lord does? He uses it in your life so that when you come across another person that's getting cut in the same way, you go, man, I can encourage you because I've been through there myself. Cut. What's the next thing they do? Well, the rough edges are polished off. I love this analogy, but you know the church is basically a rock tumbler? It really is. If you think about it, you get all these people, and everybody's got these rough edges. And we start working together. Work is usually when it comes out. But you know, we start working together, or playing together, or interacting together. And sometimes my rough edge hits your rough edge, and it's like, oh man, that just that, man that gets to me. Why? Because we're bumping into each other. We're 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 kind of invading each other's space. And, and those rough edges, and we keep, we keep bumping into each other and moving, and, and but you know what God's doing? He's smoothing each one of us off, making us a beautiful gem that's what he's doing that's why fellowship is so important being involved with other believers yeah you can you can you know stay home and watch tv and watch the you know whatever the show is with the guy with the big hair asking for money you can watch those things and you could probably get something out of it but when you're not interacting with other believers that process is not happening in your life plain and simple when you're out of fellowship it's not happening you're not growing i guarantee you're not growing why because this is all part of it that interaction, that, that getting those rough edges smoothed off. Because sometimes I might have a rough edge and a brother might come up to me and go, you know what, brother, i got to share this with you, man. I don't think that's right in your life. And I'm like, oh, wow, let's talk about it. You know, those are, those are the things that, that happen. And not only that, so you get this beautiful gem, it's, it's, been, it's been cleaned off, it's been cut, there's all these beautiful facets, all the rough edges are, are polished off, it's, it's just, it looks beautiful, and then you know what the jeweler does to sell them? He doesn't just like set them on a, like against a wall like this and go, look at these beautiful jewels, you know what they do? They get the blackest black backdrop, like beautiful velvet, black as midnight, and they put the diamonds against the midnight, the black. Why? Because that shows the beauty. I mean, that shows every facet, everything just God does that with your and my life. He plants us in places that are dark, places that are full of sin, places where people have just no use for the Lord God. And he puts us in those places. Why? So that we shine. The Bible says we're like a city shining on a hill. It's all part of God's plan to reveal. His glory through us to the world around us. So he says, on that day that I make them my jewels. And then he says, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves them. Spares them from what? Well, I want to just read this to you. You don't need to turn there. But in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20, it says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. This is a prophecy in Isaiah referring to the last days. And I believe it's referring to the great tribulation when the Jewish nation is going to be protected by the Lord God from his wrath that's being poured out against the Christ rejecting world. But it's not just them. To the church of Philadelphia, which I believe is, a, is a, a, a picture of the New Testament church in our day and age, the, the, that, that remnant that, that just loves the Lord, that fears the Lord God. Revelation 3.10 says, But because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The Lord God is going to spare you and I, that remnant, from his wrath. And I believe that's speaking about the rapture of the church that's going to occur at the start of the great tribulation. It says he will spare them as a man spares his own son. Now, you fathers can relate to the intense love that's being spoken about. If your son was in danger of losing their life, I, you know, and it's not just fathers and, and sons. This week I heard about this woman, I was sharing this with Teresa. There was this lady and she was somewhere in Colorado and she was on a houseboat and her two-year-old son fell off the houseboat. She dove in the water and she, I, it sounded like she was floating on her back and she put her two-year-old son on her chest and kept him above the, above the water, but she ended up Drowning. And they, it was like it was a miracle that, you know, he didn't drown as well, but she drowned saving her son just floating on the water. Well, it turns out neither of them had life jackets on, and that's an important thing. Coast Guard guy, you know, wear your life jackets. But, um, but, but you understand that intensely. If one of your children fell off into the water, man, you would, you would risk your life. You do, your life would mean nothing to you. You'd dive in there to save your child. This is what he's talking about is a man spares his own son. Listen to this, God would do the same thing for his son, and yet he loved you and I even more than that. His love is even deeper than that because he allowed his son to die in order for you and I to live. I mean, you think, my love, man, I, I would dive in the water, for, I would die for my son. God says, I'll let my son die for you. And that's that much more greater profoundly greater love that he has for each one of us. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, Behold what manner of, of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you fear him and meditate on him, you're one of that remnant You're one of his peculiar treasures, and he is going to spare you from the wrath to come. You're a child of God today, but there's a lot of people that call themselves children of God. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians. There's a lot of people that come to church, and just because a person comes to church doesn't mean that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We understand that, right? We know that. Um, Jesus told the parable of the, the tares and the wheat, and he's there's about this farmer that, that planted this wheat. And, and in the nighttime, the enemy planted these tares. And the tares, at, when they're young, when they're just growing up, they, they don't look any different than the wheat. And so the the, the workers are to the master of the field, the owner of the field. Shall we pull up the the tares? And he goes, no, 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 no. Let them grow up together because I don't want you to harm the wheat. And so they grow up together. But at the harvest time, it becomes obvious which is wheat and which is not wheat. That's what happens right now in the kingdom of heaven now, the kingdom here. There are people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yet they're here at church, or, or they, they call themselves Christians. But right now, it may not be abundantly clear who is who. But at the harvest time, it will be abundantly clear who truly are his people. There is coming a time when it will be evident who is serving the Lord and who isn't. Verse 18 Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Adam Clark, he was a commentator. He says this, In the great day of the Lord, at least, if not long before, it will be fully discovered who have been the truly wise people, those who took up their cross and followed Christ, or those who satisfied the flesh with its affections and desires, following a multitude to do evil. The end, it's, it's going to become apparent at the harvest time, at the, at the time of day of judgment. verse Chapter 4, verse 1, For behold, the day is coming. This is the day we're talking about. Burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble, and the day of the, which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. He's speaking about the judgment day. The Bible calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Verse two, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in its wing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves, the son of righteousness. It's funny I was reading it, it's like it shouldn't have been sun, like son, like S O N of righteousness, and no it's son, S U N. I don't know if I pronounce that right, but it's Jesus Christ. Man he's the light of the world who's going to return when the world is at its darkness verse 3 You shall trample the wicked for they shall be as a, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this says the Lord of hosts So chapter 4 is kind of an answer to Chapter Three. Remember, one of the people saying it's useless to serve the God. What to serve God? What benefit is there in it? God's answer to those who said that in Chapter Three is: is there's coming a day when it will become abundantly clear just how useful it was to live your life for God, how profitable it was for you to keep His ordinances. It's, it, you'll, it'll, it'll be abundantly clear at that time. And so what are they told to do? Verse four, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember God's word, remember his commandments, remember his statutes, his judgments. Again, getting back into the word of God. In the last days, there's there's going to be, and and we're I think we're even seeing it a a, a turning away, a falling away from God's word. People just want to hear nice things; they don't want to hear all the things. And so what are we to do, man? We're to remember God's word. We're to meditate on it. We're to study it. We're to speak to one another about God's word. The fear of the Lord, all these things. Verse 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now many people thought that John the Baptist was Elijah. Elijah back when he came. And Elijah did, in fact, come in the power and in the spirit of Elijah. But even he said, hey, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, before that judgment day, God is going to send the prophet to uh, Elijah to the earth. And, and obviously that has not been fulfilled yet. Who was Elijah? Well, he was one of the great Old Testament prophets. He was one that didn't die. He did not experience death, but he was taken up into heaven. He apparently, according to scriptures, is one of the two anointed ones that stands by the Lord of the whole earth. That's in Zechariah 4, verse 14. In Revelation 11, in Revelation 11, it speaks about God sending two witnesses from heaven to the earth to preach the gospel during the great tribulation, and many people believe that one of these witnesses is Elijah. The other one could possibly be Moses. We're not really sure, but it, it's, it looks pretty pretty sure that the one of those witnesses is Elijah. Now, when John the Baptist came, you remember he came in the power and the spirit of, of Elijah. He preached a baptism of repentance. So, in a sense, he turned the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Maybe not necessarily the the physical, although probably there was an aspect of that—the children to their earthly fathers. But basically, the children of Israel back to the father. Uh, He was bringing that relationship back right through repentance. But again, he didn't. He proclaimed, "I'm not Elijah." So, this prophecy, like I said, is yet to be fulfilled. And Elijah's going to come, probably one of those two witnesses of, of Revelation 11, and he will fulfill his ministry of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the father. How is he going to do that? It's likely that the Lord is going to use his testimony and his influence to call out the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are going to minister to their fellow Israelites during the Great Tribulation. It's in Revelation chapter 7. So if you guys be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Revelation chapter 7. Go read it. Go home and read it today. The last phrase of the Old Testament here ends with, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I want to read another commentator to you. James Montgomery Boyce said this. This ending of the book of Malachi bothered the ancient Jews. The Masorites... Who, gave us, who have given us most of the copies of the Hebrew Old Testament we have, were so bothered by this that they repeated the next to the last verse of Malachi after the last verse. They're like, man, it can't end this way, so let's take this verse and put it behind the... Uh, it's not a cool thing to do, by the way. Let's take this verse and put it here. Similarly, the Septuagint reverses the last two verses so that the Old Testament ends not with a curse, but with a blessing, so the people that are all hung up on the Old Testament, like it can't end in a curse. It's got to end in a blessing. But guess what? The Old Covenant ends in a curse. Why? Because we can't keep the Old Covenant. We can't keep the law. We're, it's, we're cursed because by nature we're sinners. We cannot keep God's holy law. So the Old Testament ends with a curse. But guess what? The New Testament ends with Revelation chapter 22, verse 21. And you know what it says? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Man, God's grace. We can't earn salvation, and so it's the free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God this morning that we have his grace. We're going to end today, of course, because we're at the end of the chapter, but like I said, this is a special Sunday for me because guess what? I have now preached through the entire Bible at least once. I mean, that's a milestone for me. Not a gallstone, a milestone. (laughs) So I think it's awesome. And uh, guess what we're going to do again? We're going to start all over again and go through it again. After Sammy Tanago's here, of course. (laughs) So uh, anyways, why don't we go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, yeah, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that uh, we've been able to go through the chapters, the verses of the Bible, cover to cover. Lord, that, Lord, as, as Paul said, I, I've not failed, I've not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. And Lord, I can stand before you this morning and say that, that I've not failed to go through the entire Bible, Lord God. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, this, this morning we just, we just look at that. That passage of scripture, about the remnant and about fellowship and, and Lord, the, the, the book of remembrance, and Father, I pray that each one of us here this morning, Lord, that our names are written all over in that book, Lord God, that, that our lives are so full of you and so full of your spirit, and that Lord, that we just exude, we just exude you, and everything we do, Lord, and we just people are, be, be, get to know quickly what we're about. We're about you, Jesus. I pray that that would be true for each one of us. And Lord, I know so often we fall short. Lord, so often we, we lose our focus, Lord, during the week or during, during times things happen. And Lord, we, we forget about those things. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of those things this week. And that Lord, that that would become a reality in each one of our lives, Lord Jesus. And so I thank you for that reminder this morning. Thank you for the reminder of fellowship this morning. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your blessings into their lives today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.